Hello, Internet, and welcome to Hot Tub Thoughts, the place where your thoughts think. My name is Brian Duventack, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Hahn, Professor Jason Scott, and activist Tiffany Joseph to discuss ASD representation in film. But first, an outdated reaction to Star Wars A New Hope. That was like eight years ago, asshole. People don't forget. In 1977, George Lucas released Star Wars, later adding A New Hope onto that title for a mere $11 million budget. Fans went wild, and today it's one of the largest franchises on Earth. I'm here to give my outdated reaction. It's dumb. It's a dumb movie. There's so many dumb things about this movie, I genuinely don't know why people love it so much. Like, I can't understand. First of all, the obvious one. Names in Star Wars are so dumb. George Lucas basically just names stuff what they were. Like that greedy guy named Greedo. Or the lone wolf named Solo. Or the stereotypical farm boy named Luke. Oh, and he wants to go to space? Let's call him Skywalker. I can't imagine being that lazy about naming all of your characters. Only female character that we get any kind of screen time with? Let's call her Leia. She just happens to be hot. It's a dumb movie with dumb names for all the characters. Couple of other nitpicky things. Substance. Anything likable or redeeming. First of all, the uh, big ending where they're trying to blow up the Death Star, and this is the really big one. Believe me, I could spend hours picking apart this movie. Everyone acts like Han did something, but he didn't. He shows up halfway through the fight, shoots one guy. He has a clear shot on anyone, including the ship Vader's in, and instead of shooting the big ship in the lead, he shoots one of the little TIE fighters on the side, and then another TIE fighter happens to be an idiot and just steers into a wall out of nowhere. And then we act like Han's this big hero. And then all Luke does is he shoots a missile, or not even a missile, he shoots a photon beam. Not how lasers work, but whatever. Shoots a photon beam down a vent, so it blows up the entire thing. A, that's dumb. That's just a dumb flaw in the entire Death Star. But B, that vent's supposed to be pushing up air the entire time. And you're expecting me to believe that this beam just shoots down miles and miles against air and doesn't blow up. It blows up the minute it touches anything, but tons of air shooting against it for miles and nothing happens. It's dumb. Also, at the end of the film, Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. Han and Luke do, but Chewbacca doesn't. That's speciesist. Now, kind of dropping the veil of acting as though this is a new thing that came out, acknowledging all the other Star Wars things, but still kind of focusing on this. Nothing you like in Star Wars, except Han, is in the original. Nothing. Yoda's not in the original. Lightsabers are barely in the original. Cool uses of the Force, not in the original. Darth Vader saying, no, I am your father, not in the original. So many things that Star Wars is known for, not in the original. Boba Fett's not in the original. Boba Fett originated from the animated Christmas special. That's right, he was in that before he was in Empire Strikes Back. Also, for anyone out there who wants to say, oh, well, Rogue One went in and said this is why the Death Star is that way, or, oh, this book explains that. Stop it, alright? This guy was making a movie in 1977. He didn't know that it was going to get a prequel 40 years later explaining this minor detail. He just didn't think about it. If you make a movie and then have to later use other movies and books to make your movie make sense, you made a bad movie. 
This has been an outdated reaction with Brian Duvendeck. Join us next time for an outdated reaction to Dragon Ball Z. Coming up now is an interview with a panel on ASD representation. You've made the wild allegations, but you have proven nothing. You made this a long journey just to show the world that they were right about you. You are incapable of conducting a real interview. You're a joke. I am joined now by uh, our expert panel, including Dr. Michael Hahn, Professor Jason Scott, and noted uh, ASD advocate Tiffany. My audio cut out for a second. Right off the bat, a lot of people don't really know that much about ASD. So before we talk about actual representation in TV and film, could one of you break down kind of what ASD is for the audience? Yeah, I could, uh, I could take a stab at it. ASD is basically an umbrella term describing basically multiple disorders. And so it's kind of a new thing with the DSM-5 to where they lump these different disorders into one. But it can vary in terms of its presentation, in terms of its severity. But there are kind of some common core symptoms that are presented. And so most notably, it's recognized as like a developmental disorder in which there's this deficit in kind of social functioning. And so one of the kind of biggest things is like being able to have like a developed theory of mind. So being able to perspective take and understand that another person's thoughts, feelings, behaviors can differ from your own. So the idea being that the style of thinking might be a little bit more egocentric. You know, the, there is a misconception that these individuals are don't experience the same emotions as say like a, a neurotypical individual, and that's not necessarily appropriate. And then also kind of some more key characteristics, like oftentimes we see like repetitive behaviors and just like very specific areas of interest. And then also finally, there's kind of interesting correlation between an individual having autism and then um, being a savant in a particular area. So like we're going to talk about Rain Man here in a little bit. That's actually a thing in terms of there's this heightened uh, chance of a person being a savant in a particular area. Uh, and then what are some negative stereotypes and how exactly are they inaccurate and how can they be harmful? Tiffany, as an activist, would you like to answer this one? Uh, yes. So a lot of stereotypes are that autism is a behavioral disorder. The thing is, you have to understand why there are differences in behavior. And most of it is sensory differences and just the body control and the brain body don't connect as we want. So a lot of people might look like they're not paying attention or they don't understand when really it's because of sensory differences or being able to get our body to move in certain ways that look like neurotypical people would be there and might not. Jason, what are some ways you think Hollywood could depict neurodivergent people as more positive? Well, I think a lot of the conversation now is about actually casting neurodivergent people in neurodivergent roles. And this is not just in this community. It's in the disabled community in general. It's in the queer community and the trans community as well. That for so long, these parts have been played, written, produced, and sort of orchestrated by neurotypicals, typically white male neurotypicals, but it could be a diverse array of neurotypical people. The cry now is, well, there are neurodiverse people who are perfectly capable of performing those parts, uh, not necessarily people who are exactly like them either. You might have a performer with Asperger's, which is a sort of a specific diagnosis, who has the physical, mental, and personal experience to play somebody with a, a different kind of autism or a, a disorder that presents itself in different ways. So getting 
playing those bodies in front of the camera is important, but it's also important to acknowledge that there are positions for writers, directors, producers, designers, and other people who live on the spectrum and present and function in various ways who could contribute towards the way those stories are told. I think Hollywood has done a pretty good story about humanizing people with autism spectrum disorder, but it's still being done in a rather or in a somewhat inauthentic way. And I hope that there'd be more room for those voices to represent themselves. There's uh, been a lot of speculation about a lot of classic directors, but all kinds of creatives being somewhere on the spectrum. Everyone from Tim Burton to Alfred Hitchcock, Dan Harmon, the creator of Community and Rick and Morty. Dan Harmon is diagnosed with being on the spectrum, something he didn't find out until he was writing Community. And after doing research for the character of Abed, he went and sought out expertise. This is kind of an open question to everyone. What are your guys' thoughts on this kind of uh, idea that there is a difference between ASD and other disabilities because ASD has been a little more common place amongst creatives. That's something I've seen a lot uh, as a kind of response to the criticism of not having ASD, people playing ASD roles. I love the idea of going back in history with what we know now about how all of these disorders present and function and seeing if it helps us explain and illuminate the work of people from the past who just weren't aware of what this means and, and what it is. As somebody who got labeled as neurodiverse much later in my life, I know that for myself, suddenly a lot of my previous struggles made sense because I understood that I communicate a little bit differently. I, I really like that idea, but I think we have to be careful that we don't, uh, you know, we don't diagnose via time travel and that we don't extrapolate from any particular one particular individual any more than what that one individual does. As the same goes, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And because everything is so different, I think it would be a mistake just to say, oh, look, there were there were neurodiverse people in the past. And so therefore, there is representation, because that's still not how most of the world looks at it. And there's still the attempt to normalize those people and put them in the same box when in fact, everybody belongs in different boxes, if they belong in boxes at all. Any other thoughts? So I would just say, generally speaking, if you want to better understand someone, maybe film is not the only place you should look in terms of learning about a group. Because we, I'm as sure as we'll touch upon, uh, representation can be very good, but even at its best, it's it, sometimes it's not even sufficient then. And so doing the research for yourself and just being willing to learn, I think that's a, a big part too, not just looking at films and things like that. Yeah, and I don't think it's pure representation if the people, just because we can say like Tim Burton or even Spielberg might be opposite. They haven't come out and said it like Dan Harmon. So it's not pure representation if it's not being said. And actually, I see in a lot of film, there's a lot of intimating of autistic traits, but never coming out and saying it, like in some of the shows that you will talk about later. This is a really good segue into talking about something a little more culturally relevant, which is a little weird for my show. I like to talk about things that uh, happened 10 or 20 years ago, and that's Sia's movie Music. Tiffany, would you like to start? Yes, there's a lot wrong with not just the beginning, the casting and the ending of the movie, but just the way Sia um, so-called defended herself afterwards. She was very defensive and ableist and actually even insulted the autistic community directly afterwards. There was an interviewer that said basically a non-seeking autistic person is just an inanimate object.
Patrick with a wig and Thea agreed on camera. So from the casting of Maddie Ziegler, who is not autistic, to her behavior afterwards, it was, it was just all a mess. From the very beginning, it kind of rubbed me wrong that she named an autistic character music. Felt very cliche and a uh, felt very much like a Hollywood straw manning. Mm-hmm. One of the things we, we've seen throughout Hollywood history is that character who is off mentally in some way and it's undiagnosed or unspecified but they, they, they're they the ones who provide some kind of wisdom or magic or mm-hmm. pathway to redemption for another character uh, and again we've seen that in a lot of characters of color characters of foreign origin characters of queer sexuality oftentimes those characters are sacrificed it's part of the narrative that it's the loss of them that inspires somebody to, to be a better person and while that's a nice story that's clearly not putting that person's story up front it's, it's just using it as a device in order to tell the story of a person who's already able and privileged. This is the idea that, that that supporting character is an object that allows the story to function and not somebody with full dimension. I was just going to say that the fact that um, it was obvious that Thea did not consult with any autistic people because this movie, in fact, kind of condones a dangerous restraint system for helping music behavior, which has oftentimes gotten autistic people killed in schools, in group homes, police. That very thing that she shows as the solution to the problem is actually what literally has killed us. And beyond the movie being made, it's now been uh, nominated for awards. It's a it's a it's a very controversial award nomination, and it's from a group, Hollywood Foreign Press, that is not known for making the most intelligent decisions. They tend to nominate people based on who they can invite to their dinner rather than who the, the best of the best is. But certainly it doesn't help any advocacy argument when a film like that, because it receives some accolades, the impression might be, oh, maybe it's okay or maybe it's not, or there's a controversy when the community is pretty uniform in saying this is not the way we should be telling these stories. I'll go ahead and uh, get these clips pulled up. First film we got is Rain Man. Miles. My boyfriend is coming. Of course, today's Monday. I, I, I always drive the car on Saturday. I never drive on Monday. What is this? Who is this guy? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst possible representation of ASD in a film, 10 being the best possible representation, where would you guys rank Rain Man? I would say it's a five. I don't think it's terrible as a representation simply because it was based on that individual. However, I wouldn't give it above a five because at the time that it came out, it was like the one of the only representations of ASD in film. And so that's what people glommed onto as what they expect from autistic people in society. I would agree for pretty much the exact same reasons. I think Hoffman was very precise about the type of person that he was performing and honored that single person's approach. But I do remember at the time, you know, just the cultural impression was this is what all people with neurodiverse conditions are like. Everybody's a potential savant. Everybody has the same kind of repetitive disorders that they'd be difficult to love. I don't blame Dustin Hoffman for that, but I think the film's kind of singular representation uh, limits the my rating. So I would say probably a five or maybe a six if I'm generous, but probably a five. I completely agree with the other panelists. I would say a five or a six. So for the very same reason. So when I take this story and generalize and apply it to all, and that's of course not appropriate. And so Hoffman plays a low functioning individual with ASD who was also a savant. But the, the fact that, again, is kind of dangerous in the sense that people are going to extrapolate and overgeneralize to the larger population. 
Alright, Sam Gander from Atypical. How much fun we would have with all the music and dancing and wearing fancy clothes. Those are three of my least favorite things. Oh, and raisins because I don't like to eat things with wrinkles. What are your guys' thoughts? I'm, I'm a fan of the show in general because I think the show does a good job of showing the family dynamics around neurodiversity and also extending those problems into the other characters. I'm also swayed by the argument that this is a part that probably could be played by a neurodiverse person and not a neurotypical person. I think the actor, um, Kier Gilchrist, does a, a really good job of not making anything too big or too noticeable, but there's still something about the show that doesn't feel quite authentic to me in terms of his performance. So I'd say overall, probably a, a six or a seven based on where we are today, but overall also a, a show that looks at the impact of autism beyond the single character. And I think they do that in a very strong way. Yeah, I agree. It's I would say 7 out of 10 based on being made in the current booth. And the show has good writing, not just about autism, but about, you know, real lives with autism. But again, it's something inauthentic, like other kind of This is a, a work that I'm uh, pretty unfamiliar with, and so I'm going to rely on my panelists here. So I'd say probably I, I trust their judgment in 6 or 7. Awesome. So that puts us at 21 out of 30. And next up will be Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. So if a photon is directed through a plane with two slits in it and either slit is observed, it will not go through both slits. If it's unobserved, it will. However, if it's observed after it's left the plane but before it hits its target, it will not have gone through both slits. Um, so I was just going to say, Sheldon's portrayal in the Big Bang Theory, I think everything that he does is very, again, exaggerated. I don't think that, to my knowledge, I don't know if he was ever outright diagnosed with ASD or I don't not. believe he was. And if any of these characters you don't believe have ASD, feel free to make that your answer. So uh, I don't know whether or not he would or would not. But again, I think that the way in which he's portrayed, it's supposed to be that they're trying to make it seem as though he does right and so i think that it's a very exaggerated representation i don't know if my panelists would agree or not but i'd say i don't know like a five somewhere around there i'm not a fan of the way that the show makes fun of kind of nerd culture i know i'm in the minority a lot of people love this. i show. agree with you i think it's an overrated show and it's kind of offensive to a lot of people um I, I really respect jim parsons as a performer i think he's a very good actor but as far as being a representation of asd i'd say it's like a two and a half at because it's just there for the jokes as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I also think it, it is a little bit exaggerated. I do have some friends that kind of exhibit some of those traits, but they never come out and say that Sheldon is autistic. So I would have to give it like a 4 out of 10 based on the stereotypical, completely stereotypical way in that he's portrayed, but also in that it's just, again, intimated, not, not mentioned. All right, so next up is Tina from Bob's Burgers. My heart... My heart. Sweetie, I'm on the phone. I don't know if any of you have seen Bob's Burgers. It's also a very uh, exaggerated show. Yeah, I love Bob's Burgers and I love Tina. And I wouldn't be surprised if she had some slight diagnosis of something just because she can be so obsessive in her thoughts, the way she's represented. But again, I don't think I would put that forward as them attempting to represent that in any authentic way. I think they're just giving that character a little bit of color. So I'm not sure how to rate that, but I do love her as a character. Character, and I find her flights of fancy very compelling and humorous. And I, I like that they honor that part of her character. 
I also love Bob Burgers. I watch it every day. But I, I don't know if I saw autism in Tina Belter. In fact, sometimes I see a little bit more in her sister Louise. Or Jean. Yeah, yeah or I could Jean see it too, in all right. three. Yeah, so I don't know if I would say this is a, a representation of autism, but I love the show. And I would give it uh, a, maybe a three for representation, but like a nine out of ten for the show being entertaining. I, I would say, yeah, I, I completely agree. I question whether or not the diagnosis is there or not. But I think more, whenever I think of Tina, I just think of typical teenage girl. So, like, you know. <laughs> You're killing him. I'm saving his life. He was bleeding out. No, you have it in the wrong place. I think I remember enough of Anatomy 101 to know where the jugular vein is. You would be in the right place if he were an adult. He's not an adult. He is a boy, which... So there's Sean Murphy from The Good Doctor, who is diagnosed in the show. I like the show. I like the writing. I like the diversity, but I... I do not like at all the characters on Murphy. I like him as a person, but I don't like his representation of, of ASD. I think for one, it's not very true to life when it comes to how the world lets us achieve. I think it, it misses a lot of points of that, but also Sean Murphy or the actor who plays Sean Murphy, he never makes any eye contact, like kind of a stereotypical way. Like we do use eye contact in different ways, but it's never uh, always nothing and I just I hate the way that he never looks at people which is not how we do it we do look at people I I agree I think it's a complex show that puts a character with autism as the protagonist in a very high stress high stakes environment I generally think Freddie Highmore is a very good actor I'm a fan of his work I like that he was helpful in bringing this based on a Korean series so adapted the Korean series for, for America but I agree I find his performance almost like it's like Dustin Hoffman's was in Rain Man, it seems like it might be precise to one person, but it's so narrow in its representation that I don't think there's a lot they can do with his character except kind of continually put him through the typical doctor stories. And I, uh, I, the, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about the eye contact thing. Some of the other things seem very mannered and certainly autism can present that way, but as a storytelling device, I don't find it very effective and I don't find him like representative of the community. Also because it's such an extraordinary situation. He's a high profile doctor in a major hospital and he has this very very severe presentation of autism and that still seems to me a little unbelievable in the way that they conceived of it. I don't have much more to contribute. My main exposure to that show was through promos and, and things like that but in terms of the, again the representation it seems like again we kind of see a common thing here in terms of exaggerating certain things and like focusing more on stereotypes maybe. I think it might be true to one person but again to generalize to a, a whole entire group is as a different story. All right, we're going to do three more. At the end, I'll have each of you pick out of the ones we've seen what your uh, favorite would be. So the next one we'll do is uh, Abed Nadir from Community. What's your film class, buddy? It's cool. Our first assignment is a documentary. They're like real movies, but with ugly people. I'm learning a lot. I'll have to make some adjustments to my film. Jeff, I think you should play the role of my father. I don't want to be your father. It's perfect. You already know your lines. Abed specifically is diagnosed with Asperger's. Something that helps the show because it's kind of diagnosis that I think more people are a little bit familiar with and it doesn't need to be quite as exaggerated. I think it can be referenced without taking over the character. And as much as Abed is like a lot of people I know with Asperger's and a lot of traits I know I have myself in terms of communicating socially and always being bluntly honest about things. Over time on the show, he's a character who really develops, you know, he falls in and out of love. He's very normalized 
surprised in a lot of ways that I think is great. So he's somebody that I would give that a nine just because I think the combination of the performance and the writing on the show makes this, it's, I never feel ooky or offended when that topic of his personality comes up. And I know personally, I love parasocial behavior kind of stuff that he does with the meta commentary. I love that stuff. And for my entire life, I've constantly compared everything around me to a TV show. Same here. Yeah, I saw a lot of myself in Abed when I first started watching the show, which I really liked. And he wasn't just the typical Asperger character. He actually developed a character. And, but he's still obviously autistic. Um, in fact, I, I think it was the first episode where the teacher character, he said that, oh, and you have Asperger's. Like, because you could tell. And that's yeah. how a lot of people have said it to me. So I just, I don't know. I just <coughs> kind of felt like it was, not only was it hilarious, but it was a good representation. And they came out and said it. So I, I would say like an eight or nine out of 10. Yeah, the, the character had dimension. He wasn't just a prop. He wasn't just a placeholder. It wasn't just a supporting person, but he, he actually served purpose. And so it was, I think, well done as well. Next one we're going to do is Forrest Gump. I think, I think you should go home to Greenbow, Alabama. Forrest Gump, obviously, you know, gets a lot of hate in modern times. Uh, it hasn't aged incredibly well. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? I love Forrest Gump. I give it a 10 out of 10. This is a show going to explain one of my artistic traits now. I gave away my uh, VHS player when Forrest Gump came out on DVD. That's how much I love Forrest Gump. It shows his mom working very hard mm-hmm. to get him into um, a mm-hmm. different educational system. So a lot of parents will understand that struggle. So it's like, again, the family dynamic is important. But also he achieved so much just because of his traits, because of who he is. And I, I love that. I'll give it a 10 out of 10. I love Forrest Gump. I, lo- I love the movie I love the performance. The movie I have some problems with. Like you said, it hasn't aged well. That isn't, but I don't think that's because of the character. Again, he's not diagnosed specifically, and we. I might sooner diagnose him with some other uh, neurodiverse conditions beyond ASD. But it's such a consistent, thorough, uh, thoughtful, and very loving performance, and in a story that really allows that person to again not just be the prop for others, but he becomes. This the main story. So I, I like the way that it empowers people who are different and privileges their stories. So for me, it would be about an eight, I think. Yeah, I'll give it a very high rating to you. I'd say like eight or nine um, in terms of, again, I, I think uh, just as Jason said, there's a question about whether or not he actually has that or something different. But I think that, again, it, they were trying to be sensitive, I guess, in, in terms of how they were presenting all right, the last one we'll do is the 2017 Power Rangers movie. Billy Cranston, the Blue Ranger, who is confirmed in the movie to be autistic. Are you crazy? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can you stop touching me now? I'm sure my view of that movie is skewed by the fact that I was a diehard Power Rangers fan growing up. I like the character because I have black autistic son, and this is someone that isn't just a stereotypical white boy autistic as you normally see, and that's one of the reasons I liked Abed at first. But I haven't seen the movie, but I do like that it's represented in a different way. It comes out and says that he's autistic, and my kids love it, and they love seeing themselves in characters like these. So I would give it a 9 out of 10. I haven't seen the movie, but I I do agree that when you're doing something that's more oriented towards kids, if you have that representation in there and it's positive, that's a very positive step. Even if it's maybe there's a, maybe it's a little bit stereotypical or it's a little bit broad or big for kids stories that works very, very well. So I'm, I'm all for that. 
completely agree. And I really have nothing more to add than what the panelists have already said. So, yep. All right. We have less than a minute before Zoom boots us. So real quick, everyone's favorite of the things we've seen. We didn't end up beating Zoom and it did kick us out. So we just ended up communicating over email what our favorite of the examples we saw were. And it was a unanimous decision that the best representation of ASD in TV shows and film is Abed Nadir from Community. And so today's Smart S5 is going to be top five things that makes Community different and in some ways better than other sitcoms. Before we get into that, though, I want to make a couple of quick notes. First of all, after we recorded this panel, but before I finished editing it, because I'm very slow at editing, Lights, Camera, Barstool did a review of music, CS Film, which they even prefaced their review by saying they try to avoid controversial subjects. They said it was awkward to watch. It was cringeworthy. Even away from all the controversy, it was just a bad film. And they acknowledged how problematic it is in so many ways. And I suggest all of you go out and research it for yourself. If you'd like to know any more about any of the people that were on our panel, you can follow Tiffany at High Functioning Autism on Instagram. And both of our other panelists are professors at their own universities, so I highly suggest you check them out, check out their universities. Maybe it's something you'll be interested in. Reminder that next week we're going to be joined by a college hockey player to break down the Mighty Duck. And when I say break down, I mean I'm going to try to ruin it for her. I haven't told her yet, so maybe she'll hear it on here. Maybe it'll be a surprise. And we will also have an outdated reaction to Dragon Ball Z. It's time for our smart ass five. How did you get back? The end, I had to project my consciousness forward into a suspended quantum state version of myself that exists across every possible instance of time. That makes no sense. Well, what if you were smarter? Number five on our list of things that make community truly different from a lot of other shows is the representation. A lot of shows struggle with this. And How I Met Your Mother... They're basically all white people. Same with Friends. Their way of working around it's always they have like one group represented. And Friends, two of them are Jewish, but they're not religiously Jewish. In How I Met Your Mother, Barney has a black half-brother, etc., etc. There's always that one thing. In Modern Family, they have that gay couple. In Community, they do a fantastic job representing different groups. Uh, they even make jokes in the series about how everyone in the group is of a different religion, etc. It causes conflict sometimes, but never in a way where that's the driving thing in the show, and they never do it in a way where it feels cheesy. It's always more like the all-women scene from Avengers Infinity War, where it all kind of feels organic, versus the all-woman scene from Endgame, which feel very forced and weird. Number four themed episodes community's themed episodes were so amazing they were just incredible their paintball episodes of which i think there were four of are the reason the russo brothers ended up working at marvel they also had themed episodes around documentaries they had a episode where it's a bottle episode and at the very beginning it seems clear they're going to be stuck in one room and abed very clearly says he doesn't want to do a bottle episode their themed episodes are incredible i think the absolute best example of that is the season two christmas special which is in claymation and they explain it as abed is having a mental break due to the idea of not seeing his mom this year for christmas and it's causing him to interpret the world through claymation in order to find the meaning of Christmas. So the school is trying to have him examined by a psychology professor, whereas the gang slowly begins to realize that what he really needs is a friend. And I know that sounds campy, but they do it in a way where it's not campy at all, and it's so funny and fun, and it's great. Number three. 
don't have sitcom endings. A lot of sitcoms are kind of known for that ties it up in a neat bow at the end. People always talk about that being the sitcom ending. Community doesn't do that and it makes it so great because they don't have to real quick rush to finish it all up at the end. I think the best example of this is Mixology 101, I believe is the episode, and Troy's turning 21, and throughout the episode, Shirley's trying to hide her brief stint with alcoholism that she went through, and when the gang finds out, they make fun of her a little bit because she is a very religious person, and she storms off, and it's never resolved. That's how real relationships work. Sometimes stuff isn't resolved. Sometimes there are loose ends, and that's how stuff works in real life, and that's how it works in community, and that's one of the things that I love about the show. Number two, it actually recognizes its characters' flaws. In a lot of online discussion around sitcoms, you see people talk about the characters and they always criticize them for having these massive flaws that no one acknowledges. The fact that Jim just makes giant life decisions for him and Pam. The fact that Michael Scott is kind of harassing his entire office. The fact that Ross is a terrible human being. The fact that Barney is a sexual predator. There's these massive flaws in all these shows that people don't talk about except on the internet but in community they all acknowledge their flaws in fact that's the driving force of the show number one they adapt the show around chemistry. The number one thing that kills any sitcom is writers being too stuck to their original vision. Do you know why we all hated the How Much Mother ending? Because they had, spoiler alert, Robin end up back with Ted after we just had eight seasons of them hammering home this point that they're a terrible fit. So after doing that this entire time, it doesn't make sense for us to have them back together. It would have made sense if the show was only two seasons long like it was originally supposed to be. Other series, like Friends, they just kind of shoved characters together sometimes, not really caring if they worked. When Community originally started, they wanted to partner up Troy and Pierce as a dynamic duo, but it was clear that Troy had a better chemistry with Abed, so they changed it. And uh, Jeff was supposed to be a romantic interest for Britta, but that quickly became overplayed, so instead they switched it to having him with Annie. But they also recognized that would have been weird, so they never actually carried through on it. They were always willing to shift these things up and expand based on the chemistry of the characters. It's been great talking to you guys again this week. Remember to just let your thoughts go wild. Um, don't let anyone tell you that they don't care. If they don't care about what you're saying, just say it anyway. I'll see y'all next week.